The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, January 30th, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios, as usual, in Times Square. Well, New York City real estate is like no other business in the world. As my guest today says, it really is like a tale of two cities when it comes down to it, not unlike the platform that Mayor de Blasio ran on. And he says, on the one hand, the super luxury real estate market was on fire with price records broken and foreign money pouring into New York. And on the other hand, affordable housing was out of reach for many and became a key focus this year of the de Blasio administration. My guest today is Stuart Elliott. He is the editor-in-chief of The Real Deal magazine. The Real Deal is a monthly news magazine and daily website about the real estate industry with a focus on New York City and South Florida. The magazine was started in 2003 and focuses on both commercial and residential real estate. The magazine has been called the must-read news source for real estate news by both The New York Times and The New York Post. Stewart is a graduate of Duke University and Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. He has been a news assistant at the New York Times, a writer, a reporter for several newspapers, and also wrote the script for PBS's documentary on the life and work of Casas Condolas, one of Manhattan's most prolific architects. Stewart, good morning, and thank you for being here with us. Hey, thanks for having me. So 2014 has been a very interesting year in New York. We want to touch on the stories that the real deal reported, I guess, the top stories of 2014, for example, affordable housing versus the luxury real estate market, the poor door controversy, foreign buyers, the, the influx of foreign buyers in this town, pricing records being set, uh, billionaire row, most expensive properties for sale. I mean, some of these prices are out of control. Shared office space, that's a new one uh, that's really making headlines these days. One World Trade Center opening up and some of the issues that they have been facing uh, with that opening. Hudson Yards and, of course, Brooklyn. We've talked about all of these topics on the show this year, making news again at the end of the year. So let's let's start with affordable housing. So according to The Real Deal, New York City's luxury residential market has for the last few years been firing on all cylinders. I mean, it's out of control. It's been doing really, really well. But in the meantime, New York City um, is struggling with an affordable housing uh, situation. So they want to commit $8.2 billion in public funds to a 10-year housing plan that could transform the city while providing affordable homes to thousands of low- to middle-income residents. In embracing a vision for a denser New York, the mayor intends to require, require not simply encourage, developers to include affordable units in residential projects in newly rezoned areas around the city. Why, why then, Stuart, has this affordable housing Plan become such a main focus of the of the of the mayor, the current mayor. Right. Well, what's, the, what's the thought here? We're really in a new era for New York City. Uh, in the past year, with uh, you know Bill De Blasio taking office, um, there's been a huge push to build more 
affordable housing and create more affordable housing. Um, and it's created a, an interesting situation in the real estate industry. You have de Blasio, who you know couldn't differ more from Mayor Bloomberg um, in terms of his housing agenda. Um, and uh, you have the real estate industry on the other hand. Um, so we're at the end of year one now, and it's it's interesting how it's played out. You know, de Blasio has really pushed for affordable housing. And, you know, the beginning of the year, it was really a question on how that was going to mesh with the real estate industry who's, you know, who are, who are always focused on uh, market rate housing. Um, so, you know, throughout the year, there were there were a couple of big tests of uh, how the industry and de Blasio came together and battled it out. Um, you know, de Blasio really has an ambitious goal for creating affordable housing. Um, the the good thing is, you know, I think there's been progress made, you know, in terms of those factions coming together, de Blasio and the real estate industry. De Blasio's let the industry build taller buildings. He's not really uh, overly concerned about landmarking as 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 the industry might have feared going in. Um, but he's he's letting developers build taller buildings and and as long as they build some affordable housing units, with that, um, you saw the first litmus test of the industry versus de Blasio with uh, the Domino Sugar Factory um, early in the year. And uh, Astoria Cove has been another um, sort of litmus test on how, how the real estate industry and de Blasio are interacting. And uh, Stuyvesant Town, um, which is coming down the pike, is going to be one to see for uh, 2015. So, you know, uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. But I think so far, um, you know, I think the real estate industry was really worried when, uh, you know, Mayor Bloomberg was going out of office. He was so pro real estate. But, uh, you know, I, I think you're hearing good things, um, you know, about de Blasio so far. Well, let's talk about the, the tale of two cities. I mean, it's a perfectly coined phrase here because, you know, on the one hand, you have the, the uber luxury, you know, residential towers that are costing millions and millions of dollars to build and are you know, people are spending millions and millions of dollars to purchase. How do we contrast that with the with the affordable housing? I mean, literally, we are now talking. I mean, for years, people have said in this town that the middle class is pretty much gone. Uh, so we've got two ends of the spectrum. How you know what is this going to make the face of our city look like in the next it, five to ten years? It's just so wildly divergent now. The two markets. I mean, you're seeing developers build so many ten million dollar plus apartments in the city. You know, in areas like Fifty Seventh Street. Which is now being called Billionaires Row. Um, you know, super, get to that in a yeah, super tall luxury <laughs> towers, and uh, you know the, the the what they're saying about Manhattan in general is you know it's becoming a Swiss bank account for foreign nationals. So you're just seeing people wanting to park huge amounts of money here in super high end uh, apartments, and that's the segment of the market that's getting a lot of attention. It's getting a lot of press. It's glitzy. It's glamorous, and then you know, but that's only you know. A small percentage of what's going on in the real estate market, of course, and then you have the other ninety-five percent of the market that's, you know, chugging along, um, you know, at the same time. So it's it, it's really just it, in terms of covering the market. You know, I cover it day in and day out. It it kind of gives you a false sense of what's going on, or it's hard to track actually what is going on because. Well, that's the, what I wanted to get yeah, at because it's really difficult to figure out what actually is going on. Right, because it's a, it's such a you know bifurcated market. It, on the one hand, you have you know what's happening in the ninety five percent, and then it's getting overshadowed by this you know five percent that's that's getting a lot of the attention. Let's talk about the developers for for a minute. You know, the developers of these buildings are they in favor of this, and what tax advantages do they derive from these uh, affordable housing? Projects or plans, eighty twenty. I mean, there's many different um, terms for this. But what what are the developers thinking behind this? Right, right. Well, I think you know, I, in terms of building affordable housing as a whole, in terms of just building more housing, I think the real estate industry is on board. 
um, you know, because that obviously is is a boon for them. Um, I think the thing that concerns them is mandatory zoning, mandatory inclusion of affordable housing if there's any changes in zoning, which is a more stringent uh, approach than than Bloomberg had. So I think right now there's there's still a level of uncertainty about what actually that means and how that's going to pencil out on the ground. I mean, it's still early enough in the de Blasio administration that that stuff's still being, you know, worked out on the ground. Um, you know, you have Alicia Glenn, an economic development head, and, and Carl Weisbrod in city planning. Um, so, you know, that's they're still kind of sending out the directives and, and that stuff's kind of getting nailed down. The mayor's announcement, obviously, earlier this year was the culmination of a campaign promise to make the city more livable uh, for the poor and middle class New Yorkers, many of whom find it, you know, really increasingly more difficult to pay their rent. So, do you think that this plan with affordable housing ultimately, over the long haul, is going to work? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think there's been a good initial push. Um, I don't know. It, it's it needs to be done one way or another, and you know, I think De Blasio's exhibited that he has the mandate to do it. I mean, he has kind of the will of the people. Um, you know, there are people in real estate saying now, you know, even if they supported Bloomberg, de Blasio is the right man for this time. You know, you're seeing just, it's just a different right. era in New York. It's a different era nationally. It's not, uh, you know, in, in New York, you're seeing, you know, it's just a sea change politically uh, from where <clears throat> things were in the past. And I think, you know, there was, you know, just speaking, you know, in terms of the city as a whole, you know, there were, there were, more than a decade of Bloomberg in office, and uh, you know, I think there was, you know, a large portion of the population that that felt disenfranchised by it. And you know, I think the, the politically things have changed, and you know, the real estate board, uh, real estate community is is on board with that. Um, so I think there's a political will to get it done. So you know, how how that happens, you know, it's it's uh, it's an ambitious policy. Although you know, people often overlook that that Bloomberg did build. A lot of affordable housing during his tenure as well, too. Let's talk about the poor door controversy. Mm-hmm. The so-called poor door, for example, at Extel's 50 uh, Riverside Boulevard development on the Upper West Side has been a divisive issue to say the least. Many feel that separate entrance for residents and affordable units is classic, classist and in bad taste. How are we doing with this? I mean it was a major controversy there for a couple of months uh, when it was first determined that this was going on. Right, right. I mean, poor doors... It's a poor, horrible poor, term for yeah, it, by the way, yeah, poor door, yeah. but whatever. Right. Poor doors, uh, it's something that had been around for a while. You know, the Bloomberg administration had had uh, signed off on it. And, uh, you know, but it's one of those politically charged things that once you take a closer look at it, it, it you know, it, it causes political problems. So, you know, I think there's more sensitive sensitivity to it now. And, you know, city council is probably going to change exactly what's happening with that. Um, but, Did you guys get you know, a lot of pushback at The Real Deal mm-hmm. when you put out these stories earlier this year about this particular controversy? We got a little pushback. I mean, you saw people like Gary Barnett, you know, stepping out and, and defending use of the poor door um, and, uh, you know, saying that, you know, it, it enabled the building of this affordable units in the first place, you know, so that it, it really is, there's an economic justification for it. I think the tricky thing is even if there's an economic justification for it politically, it just looks, it just doesn't look very good. So, I mean, you saw Gary Barnett going out on a limb and, and, and talking about it you yeah. know, extensively, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a very, very politically sensitive issue. Let me ask you your opinion on this based on, you know, your, your being a journalist and, and working with, you know, reporters on these stories on a daily basis. Thinking out there was initially, and I'm sure it still is, that the poor door 
drive is going to ultimately drive down the prices of these luxury buildings. What is the feeling out there from a journalist perspective? As far as the poor doors driving down? The pricing on uh-huh. the actual luxury units on the other side of the building. Right. you think people will rebel wanting to not go into these buildings? Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. Um, it could have an effect. I mean, the ironic thing is that the poor doors were built so that, you know, these buildings don't seem like they're combined at all, that there is an affordable housing component. So, you know, you look at buildings like, you know, the Edge in Williamsburg, which has, you know, has separate entrances for the affordable units and market rate. And, you know, you can't, it's hard to even tell that they're the same project almost. Um, right. So, you know, I I don't know. It's, it's a good <clears throat> question whether it'll drive down prices. I mean, I suppose to the extent, I mean, there, the, you can't really tell that the, the same buildings in some case. Um, so that might make luxury buyers, not, you know, kind of immune to it or, or not notice it. Um, you know, if they're they're worried about the political sensitivity of it or, or, or that sort of thing, that, that would be another concern, I think. All right, we have to take a break. Uh, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Chinese invasion or the foreign investors. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody, and we're talking to Stuart Elliott, the editor-in-chief of The Real Deal magazine here in New York. Uh, and we're talking about some of the top uh, stories of 2014 as reported on The Real Deal and as reported here on Good Morning New York. So, Stuart, you know, for the first time, the Chinese have become the biggest foreign buyers of apartments here in Manhattan. Why is this a top story for 2014? I mean, we've had foreign investors here in New York City uh, across the board for many, many years, the Russians, the Brazilians. The Chinese, though, seem to have cornered, you know, a major stake here. What's this about? Right. I think it's just the degree to which the Chinese are starting to buy here en masse. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, because of the huge population of China, just tens of thousands of people that, you know, potentially could be looking to spend, you know, upwards of a million dollars here buying a pied-à-terre, you know, whether it's just as a safety deposit box or whether they want to buy housing, you know, that their kids are going to use while they go to school here, for example. So just the the, the raw numbers of it, you know, is just 
is, is pretty amazing. Um, and what you're seeing now is you're seeing developers from China uh, come here and build projects and, uh, you know, sell exclusively to Chinese buyers. So, you know, there a lot of the developers over there are armed with lists of, you know, tens of thousands of potential buyers. So they have this whole group of, you know, potential purchasers they can go after. So it, that's pretty powerful. Um, you know, and I think the other thing you're seeing now is you're seeing, um, you know, not just individual apartments being bought by Chinese, but, you know, as I mentioned, development um, that's happening. And also uh, you're seeing Chinese go into, um, you know, the outer boroughs too, which is, which is kind of funny because a lot of, you know, institutional players in the U.S. shied away from Brooklyn until, you know, a year or two ago in terms of putting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars there, building a rental and building. And also in Flushing, Flushing, Queens. And in Flushing too, yeah. So you're seeing, you know, the Chinese be pretty, uh, you know, aggressive on that front. You know, usually foreign money sticks to Manhattan, um, you know, and, and plays it really safe. But, uh, you know, you're seeing that. What's happened, what's happened to the Russians? I the mean, Russians, for, for, yeah. for years, it yeah. was always the Russian buyer, the Russian buyer. Where do they go? Yeah. I mean, well, you're still seeing some, you know, super high-end purchases by Russian billionaires. That seems to be uh, something that never goes away. So you had the, you know, the, the priciest co-op sale of the year by a Russian or Ukrainian, uh, you know, billionaire. We're, we're going to talk about that yeah. actually now. You know, we have a new record for the most expensive co-op ever sold, $80 million. Right. So, and a Russian billionaire bought that from mm -hmm. the uh, New York Jets owner, Woody Johnson. Yeah. Has the luxury co-op market finally reached the same heights as the luxury condo market? Right. It's interesting. You know, a lot of the attention this year was about new condo development, and rightly so. But, you know, in the co-op market, you had the co-op sales record broken three times. Mm -hmm. um, one $70 million year Correct. deal, one $71 million deal, and one with well, that $80 million deal that, that finally set the, uh, the, the final record for the year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean uh, – if you talk to brokers, you know some of them will say it was just a matter of circumstance. I think the uh, one of the deals, the eighty million dollar, <clears throat> one of the other, I'm sorry, one of not the eighty million dollar, but one of the other ones was somebody buying in their own building that they already lived in, so they Correct. kind of bid up the price several times. And um, you know, it's it's, it's kind of a unique circumstance of these particular apartments coming to the market at this time. But uh, you know the market on all cylinders for the luxury market was was pretty hot. Well, what's interesting to me is, and this is something that I would love to follow as a real estate agent myself, going through 2015, the fact that a co-op board would allow a Russian billionaire to come into a private building and even spend 80 million dollars is staggering to me because right. it's not. I, well, maybe it's about the price, but you know, before that, you know, we all know how discriminating co-ops can be, and it's not so easy necessarily to get into them. So I find this very amusing. That we're allowing, we they are allowing buyers with this kind of background to come in and purchase at these staggering prices. It's right. Amazing. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think co-op boards have become a little bit more lax. You know, the situation with condos versus co-ops. I mean, condos are just proliferating, so I think it impacts. You know, how co-op boards approach things to some degree. Um, and uh, you know, I think the interesting fact, just historically, is I mean, you know. Condos didn't exist in mm. New York City until like the mid '80s or Correct. so, and uh, you know didn't proliferate until like the you know 2000s, you know really in really massive numbers, and uh, you know that sort of precipitated this whole wave of you know all this foreign money money coming to New York. So without the condo product, I mean you wouldn't potentially have New York City getting all this foreign money. So it, it's it's interesting just the you know historically. To see that and then see how it does benefit New York and 
you know, on the flip side, I guess with co-ops, you're, you're seeing different standards, but, you know, a lot of people would argue that co-op standards and the whole, the whole mechanism by how which co-ops work is doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's too restrictive. I think 2015 is going to be the year of the co-op. This is my prediction. Uh-huh. And as I said before, it's going to be interesting to see where or how uh, they flex, good term, flex their rules a little bit to allow uh, some of these high rollers. Right. Let's talk about Billionaire's Row. You mentioned this before. So the market for high-end penthouses and ultra-luxury apartments in New York City is booming Nowhere more so than on the 57, West 57th Street corridor, as it's now being uh, termed Billionaire's Row. You know, Michael Gross, for example, the author of House of Outrageous Fortune, who actually was a guest here, and 740 Park Avenue, the story of the world's richest apartment building, told Business Insider that this that these shiny new skyscrapers are bizarre throwbacks and effectively hotels for foreign money. What is your opinion on that? I happen to tend to agree with them on that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's true. Um, you know, I think it's Fifty Seventh Street to me is not necessarily a place I'd want to spend ninety million dollars if I had ninety million dollars to spend. I Nor mean, would I. So <laughs> it's 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 interesting. So I think the play there, and you've seen it with like Gary Barnett to bring him up again. Uh, you know, taking advantage of this. You know, when you're when you're somebody who's not as familiar with New York, you know, you, if you can build a really tall building that gives somebody Central Park views that says New York, you know, to somebody who's outside New York. So I think that's the play there. You know, you, you build on a non-prime street tall enough where you get the Central Park views and, and then you can then you can sell these units for, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And clearly these are not for the native New Yorkers who are running around looking for homes to live in, raise family in, right. et cetera. These are mostly for foreign investors, as we've talked about before, right. who can really – afford these places because they're they're very, very uh, high priced and it just seems that one after the other is racing off the marketplace. Right. Very and I interesting. Think, I think places like, you know, downtown, you know, that's not drawing quite as much foreign interest and that's where people are more likely to live, you know, if they're from New York. On the heels of that, New York City has a new most expensive apartment for sale and it's uh, not even finished yet and with an asking price of $130 million, this 12,394 square foot triplex Triplex penthouse is in a luxury tower at 520 Park Avenue, the Zeckendorf's new um, 15 Central Park West. So how do we explain, you know, the listing price on on this apartment? And we talked about this on the show a couple of months ago, $130 million. So, you know, I mean, where does it end? Do we have yeah. a $200 million penthouse in the future? I don't know. I guess it would have to be a whole apartment building. <laughs> was, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I, you know, it's again, the, as reported in the in the in the real deal yeah. and, and all around the you know New York real estate marketplace. I mean, everybody jumped on this particular listing. What is it about? Yeah, the one hundred thirty million dollar listing. I think it's twelve thousand square feet, yeah. so it's going to be you know one of the largest apartment on the Upper East Side. Um, I'd have to pull out my calculator to do what the price per square foot there is, but uh, you know it's got to be. Mm, about three or four thousand, mm, a little more, something I think, like yeah. that. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I, what you always hear developers say these days is, you know, three or four thousand dollars a square foot. You know, go look at London. That's <clears throat> that's uh, you know, that's that's a lot higher than New York is right now, and in other markets, you know. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you again as a journalist and looking into all these things more so than than real estate agents per se. Are we pricing for the uber wealthy global marketplace? These days, with some of these apartments versus pricing, you know what I call normally for you know New Yorkers or regional people here. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's the phenomenon that's really happened in the last couple of years. I mean, I think before then, 
you know, you saw two or three thousand dollars a square foot and you said, wow, that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And then I think somebody got the big idea. Um, you know, they looked at other cities around the world and they said, wait a second, we could be, you know, pricing this a lot differently, pricing this in relationship to other cities. And then, then, then values just kind of skyrocketed for these types of apartments. I think before then, maybe people just were pricing it in relationship to the local market and, uh, you know, didn't get the big idea of, Hey, you know, we can kind of market this on a, to a global marketplace in the same way or price it according to the global marketplace. Do you think that with all this construction, you know, especially on this corridor and now, of course, on, on Park Avenue with 520, do you think that we're going to be in a situation where there's going to be an increased amount of supply over the demand? Yeah. I mean, that's the big, that's the billion dollar question literally for New York City real estate in 2015. It's, you know, are they overbuilding these luxury apartments? There's just so much coming on the market. On on 57th Street, you have 432 Park Avenue, which is you know now the tallest tower in the Western Hemisphere. You know you have 157, which still has a quarter of uh, the units to sell out. You have 111 mm-hmm. 57th Street, mm-hmm. which is the Nordstrom's building. You know 520 Park, which you mentioned, um, and uh, you know it's, uh, another one by JDS on 57th Street. It's just a lot of product that's going up there, particularly, but. Just overall, in terms of luxury products, so you know, it, it's it's interesting what's going to happen with that. I don't know, you know, say you don't sell it for these astronomical prices. You know, I I guess you could still lower the prices, and the developers will still turn a profit because it's you know been jacked up so high, or maybe the banks will let them go lower. You know, one thing you can't do with these, it's always a backup plan when you get to worse markets where you take the unit and you convert it into rentals you know, into a rental unit, but I don't think that's going to happen with a $30 million apartment. You can't just uh, turn it into a rental. Let's talk about another big story. At the end of 2014, shared office space provider, a company called WeWork, is a four-year-old shared office and co-working space provider. It is now valued at $5 billion after securing $355 million in the latest round of funding. First of all, where did this company come from? Uh, I read it in The Real Deal a couple of months ago, and yeah. I thought, well, okay, so there's always been shared mm-hmm. office space. So right. why all of a sudden is this company such a hot banana? I know. It, they're just expanding so rapidly, and the head of the company, William Newman, he's just a really dynamic guy, um, <clears> and he's just making deals left and right. I think they had some tentative uh, idea to, to do 500,000 square feet at you know the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and that's like half an office building, and they're just expanding, you know, at a, at a hugely rapid clip. I think people like the, the uh, you know, uh, the uh, environment at, at the WeWork and, you know, some of the amenities they offer. And it just, you know, I think it just caters to that demographic of people who are, you know, doing startups, doing tech stuff, doing stuff on their own, which is just a, you know, growing part of the economy in New York, I think. Um, and, you know, they're capitalizing on that in a big way. But a million point, $1.5 billion more than Trulia. I mean, that right. that says something. Right, you know, Trulia right. has been around for a long time. Like I it know. or not, it's been around forever. But I know. this is quite amazing. To I me. know. Valuations are often, uh, you know, a little murky. But, um, you know, it's they they say that they're, you know, it's kind of like the... Uh, is it sust- sustainable? I mean, that's the big question, too. I mean, if there's a recession, I guess, often, you know... Uh, shared workspaces, it goes either way. I mean, shared workspaces can suffer or if people get let go of, you know, other jobs and they need temporary space, you know, shared office space can do well in recessions too. So that's what they're kind of saying that if there's a recession, they're going to benefit from that as well because people will be out of, you know, their traditional jobs and need, you know, temporary workspace. So, you know, either market, 
um, you know, their story is, is they're going to, they're going to thrive, whether it's a boom or bust market. So we'll see if that happens. You know, it's, uh, obviously they're, they're pretty ambitious in what they're doing. Um, let's talk about the Hudson Yards. The related company's $20 billion project mm. has been called the biggest private real estate development in the nation's history. And it's amazing to me because of where it's located. The multi-office tower and residential retail complex stretches from 10th to 12th Avenue, from 30th Street to 34th Street. What is all the hype about? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a, a mini city that they're building, um, you know, on, on the far west side, um, you know, and I think people don't realize even what it's going to be like, you know, so far. Um, so, I mean, you're going to have a subway access over there. You're going to have six <coughs> acres mm-hmm. of uh, open space. So that's just, uh, you know, you talk about six acres in the middle of a city. That's just a huge amount. There's going to be a, a massive, massive sculpture there that I, I believe, you know, the related uh, chairman Steve Ross said he's going to spend somewhere upwards of $75 million, I heard that, $75 on, million yeah, for, dollars, for yeah. one sculpture. Um, you're going to have access to the uh, High Line. You're going to basically go from uh, 42nd Street down through a retail corridor and then be able to access the High Line. Um, it's gonna, there's going to be a new street there, a new avenue that runs north south. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, four office towers and uh, I think it's nine residential buildings. So that's 13 buildings. So, you know, the scope of that is just, uh, and, and not to mention that's also prompting a lot of other development nearby, you know, you know, Tishman Spire building, you know, or two or three million square foot office building. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's just a ton. Elliot Spitzer is developing a build, big building over there. Now he's getting into <clears> development. Um, now that his political career seems to, uh, not not be going not be going in the direction yeah. exactly. Well, you know, yeah, neither here so, nor there on that one. But yeah. let's let's talk a little bit. We've got a couple of minutes left before we have to go to break, and I wanted to just touch a little bit on uh, the real deal. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite oh, uh, real estate magazines, and I think it's the the leader in the industry. But how has the magazine changed in the last six years editorially? Uh huh. Uh huh. Because there seems to be some kind of a shift. You know. Afloat here. What what what's right. changing over there? Right. Well, let's see. Six years ago would have been two thousand eight. So, well, it's interesting just in terms of the coverage in a boom market versus a bust market. In a yeah. boom market, you're always writing about records and you know the next hot deal. In a bust market, you're always writing about lawsuits and people suing each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's when we say we don't want to read yeah, this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that uh, right now it's a time where we're writing about a lot of records, which is really mm-hmm. really great. And uh, you know. Boundaries of neighborhoods expanding and, you know, prices going up, which is great. Um, so, you know, that's a cyclical thing, I think. Um, you know, doing this myself personally for the real deal, you know, we've started in 2003. So we've been through a really long boom market there. And then we had a really intense bus market. And now we're back to this, you know, strong, booming ish market. Um, so, it's it's been interesting to see the different cycles. Um, you know, just in terms of our coverage as a whole, um, you know, we've got the the monthly magazine, which you know does more in depth stuff, correct, and the uh, website, um, which does uh, you know more breaking news. And then we have um, you know our South Florida operation, which has been growing a lot. Obviously, that market's seeing a lot of development right now, um, <clears throat> and the prices there they're starting to understand the thing that developers in New York understand about pricing to a global market. So the prices there are going going crazy. Right. And do a lot of coverage there. From a journalist point of view, you know, he, my my question is truth in journalism, mm-hmm. okay? And we, mm-hmm. we all, you know, understand what this is. But sometimes stories, 
you write can affect the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you guys think about this sometimes or how, you know, in your, your journalism meetings do you come up with, well, should we say this, should we not say this? How deep should we get into a, a particular story, mm-hmm. et cetera? Yeah. I mean, we – I mean, because reporting the news yeah. is important, right. whether it's news news or real estate news, news is news. And so sometimes people don't want to hear certain things, right. but you got to report it anyway. Right. I mean, that kind of is the role of journalism in general. So, you know, it's, you know, you have a lot of marketing out there and PR and, and spin and, uh, you know, it's kind of our jobs, you know, we feel as journalists to tell the story, you know, uh, best we can ascertain, you know, what's actually happening, apps and all that stuff, um, and, you know, trying to follow the money and, and let people know what's going on. You know, I think it's just, that's really important because, you know, if, if you, you know, that's, that's, that's the way peop, in which people need to get information. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, we, as far as the effect of what the reporting has, you know, that's obviously something we take very seriously, um, you know, and at the same time, we try to balance that with trying to get the story out of what's actually happening, you know, and it's, it's you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's always easy. Um, it's, uh, you know, a lot of times it's contentious and, you know, you're, you're talking with people when you're writing a story and they're upset, um, you know, a lot of times they're, they're overjoyed, you know, if it's a different, different story. So it's, it's, uh, it really runs the gamut, you know, depending on what's happening, basically. Stuart Elliott, editor-in-chief of The Real Deal magazine, thank you so much for coming. Thanks. We run out of time, as usual, in this segment. I need to take a break, and we will be back after these messages, so stay tuned. Thank you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. And I wanted to say thank you once again to Stuart Elliott, editor-in-chief of The Real Deal magazine, Great interview, great top stories for 2014, and all we can do is look forward to 2015. Uh, okay, joining me now is my panel, Perun Brombat from uh, Core Group, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Realty, Nadia Bartolucci from Douglas Elliman, Bill Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com, and special guest this afternoon, this morning rather, is Richard Lorenzen, uh, CEO of Fifth Avenue Brands, a public relations company who I work with and who is instrumental in this program. And we're going to talk this morning about how brokers, you know, kind of wrap up the year 
current, 2014, and how they ramp up into doing good business, better business in 2015. We want to discuss business plans that include sales, social media, publicity, and branding. And then after that, we're going to talk about some of our favorite deals of 2014. So, Richard, good morning, and thank you for joining us today. Morning, Vince. Thanks for having me. And good morning to all of you guys out there in in, uh, panel land. Did everybody have a good holiday? Good morning. Good morning. Okay, it was a great so holiday. always good to good to get a break. Oh, tell me about it. I know I'm waiting for the show to end because I'm taking my second break. There you go. <laughs> the rest of the week. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Richard, let's let's talk a little bit about what um, brokers you know kind of go through. I guess in their very you know hectic uh, year. Uh, as they plan for each year, and then you know how we wrap it up, how we go into 2015 or a new year. What what do they need to really look for mm-hmm. uh, as they wrap up one year and, and and start up again next week? Yeah. <clears throat> so now, as as we're wrapping up 2014, um, usually a lot of brokers like to take the last three four weeks of the year to kind of plan out how the next year is going to go and what kind of business they want to do. They want to set their goals and whatnot, and it's it's a great time of the year to talk about. Um, new marketing programs you're being undertaking, and how you're going to position yourself in your market in the coming year uh, to to grow your business. Well, you know, if you had to, if you had to kind of lay it out there for for these guys, I mean, you know, social media, publicity, branding. I mean, what what you know kind of trumps another? What how, what order would you put them in? Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, we work with primarily work, we work with a lot of real estate clients and finance clients, and I've yet to meet a broker that would tell me that being the thought leader in their local market would not be beneficial to their business. So a lot of times, most of the brokers that we have coming to us are talking to us about how do they improve their branding, how do they improve um, the publicity that they're doing, and then and then social media kind of complements that as well. Guys out there, so you know, as you're wrapping up this year, you know, we have another week to go. Uh, some of us are busy, some of us are not. I right now. I'm not so busy wrapping up any business. I've pretty much closed everything for 2014, so I'm kind of coasting into the next week, you know. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I sit back and I worry as well, just like anybody else. Okay, so what's next? What's in my pipeline? So you either have a little bit of a pipeline coming up, or you don't. Where are each of you right now in your? Let's start with pipeline for 2015. Something. Really important because without a pipeline, obviously, you can't really predict what your earnings are going to be or where your business is going. Where are you right now with pipeline? Comfort zone or not for 2015? Um, I'll start, Vince. One thing I think, and I, I hopefully other brokers share this, is during this time of year, I'm always worried because there's like it gets a little quieter. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what's going on, you know? Um, and this happens at, at certain points during the year, but especially during this time, you're always worried. Sure enough, you know, things. Is it pick because up. of all the extra money we spend this time of the year too? <laughs> yeah, that could be part of it. Um, it's like, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be spending this. Um, but I, I will tell you one thing just to add to it. Richard's saying one thing I always like to do at the end of the year is I look over the previous year. I look at all the deals that I did and I see, okay, where did I get these deals from? And I really look at each one and go, okay, that was a referral. That was new business. Uh, that one, you know, that person I just met at an open house. And I try to get a sense of the percentages. Okay, where where is my business coming from? Is it mostly referral? You know, what percent is from referral? What percent is from just people I'm meeting at coffee shops and on the street and what have you? What percent is from marketing to specific buildings? 
And then I look at that and then I try to adjust for the, for the next year. And I've learned a lot by doing this because you don't realize that sometimes you – just in speaking to someone else, you might say, oh, yeah, half my business is referrals. But when you actually break down the numbers, you realize actually it's not that. I, I, I thought that, but the data is not showing that. And this – I've had this realization a few times and then I've adjusted my business plan accordingly. So that's something that I do. And, and right now I would say in terms of you know looking forward – it's, it's a similar process. It's what did I do last year and what am I going to do next year? And I'm already starting to get those phone calls and those emails. And to your point of like, what is the pipeline looking like? So I send out my email toward the end of the year. I send out like, a, hey, happy holidays. And that's where I get a lot of like, oh, hey, uh, good to hear from you. Actually, Phil, we're, we're thinking of buying next year. Sort so, of a reminder. Exactly. Uh, Niall, you not only run your own business, but you run a company uh, and, and you know deal with all the sales agents as I do. So is yep. your pipeline a little different or is it about the same? Well, I think you know when you, when you run a business, your pipeline, you're always worried about your agents as well, right? It's not just your pipeline. So right. you, have to, you have to sit down and manage that. So that means meeting with your agents, talking about their goals, talking about exactly what Phil was saying. Where did your business come from last year and how can we capitalize on that? past business and then, tr- and then parlay that into future business. Um, when, when it comes down to me personally and my personal business, which is a different question, I think Phil's right. I mean, when, you, when, you, <laughs> when it's December, you, get, you do get a little bit nervous. Um, but projects that I have in the pipeline, I'm going to be releasing a rental building at 41 West 24th Street um, early 2015, so in the next you know, six weeks or so, hopefully. Um, that's, that's something that's going to be a great project. And then I think what Phil was saying is just going back in, in reviewing, you know, where your business came from. A lot of my business comes off referrals. Um, so it's a matter of cultivating that with emails and, you know, you know constant contact uh, email blasts and mailers. Um, I think all of that, if you could do all of that and cultivate that, the better you're going to have uh, of a chance in 20, 2015. And another thing that I think that's really important is, you know, I think Deborah mentioned that she had one of her best years in 2010 or 2009 when it was right. uh, the market was down. And the way that she did that was by sending out direct mail. And, you know, I know it doesn't work out for a lot of people, but, you know, I, I've, I've had side conversations with Deborah a lot, and she's consistent about it, and that's how she gets, up, gets a lot of new business. So that's something for me in terms of the pipeline for next year that I'm certainly going to be adding in, adding in and making sure that I'm consistent about on a weekly basis. Yeah, I would agree with that because I, I do a lot of um, that stuff, whether it's e-blasting or, or just canvassing mail. And, and you'd be surprised. I mean, uh, Phil was mentioning referrals. That's a big part of our business. But there is also uh, the direct marketing element that we all need to pay attention to. And I do tell that to my agents as well because you do get business from there. Nadia, so, you know, you are working on a team, uh, you and Rachel, who isn't here today. So, you know, do you put your goals together, your pipeline together? Uh, yes, we do. We, we sit and we, and we have a meeting, which we actually had about, about two weeks ago, collaborative, and just saying, you know, how was your year compared to the previous? And I do the same. And then how can we grow as a team? And, you know, we both feel very lucky that we have some really great things in the pipe. You know, to start off 2015, we'll be bringing on um, a townhouse in Greenwich Village and probably a rental building in Brooklyn later in the year. But it is important that we keep the open communication with us and decide where our business is coming from. And we also believe in the real old-fashioned way of taking clients out, you know, around the holidays, really connecting with them. A lot of both of our clients have now become our friends, so, you know, that's an enjoyable experience for us. But that is also an in-person reminder that we are here, we're here to help, 
and we're also here to help their, you know, extended network. All right, Perul, we'll get to you in a second. We have to take a break, but first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back with our panel Parul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, uh, Nadia Batralucci, Phil Horrigan, and Richard Lorenzen, CEO of Fifth Avenue Brands. We're talking about ramping up for 2015, pipeline for 2015. Parul, what is your thought for your business plan for next year? Um, well, you know, you were asking sort of, you know, how what our point of view is and how we plan and how we look back at our last year. Um, for me, I think one of the most important things is looking at, what I was thinking at this time last year um, and what goals I had set for myself for 2014 and where I stand with those um, and sort of really assessing, you know, how far I came in the last year and then where I want to go from here. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's sort of like, I think it's in line with pretty much everybody on the panel. Um, I think that December is the time that you definitely, I mean, it's anytime you really close out like, your goals, whether it's, you know, selling out a building or really finishing up what you wanted to do, that you really, I mean, it's at the closing table that you always think, oh, my God, where is my next deal going to come from? And um, and I think that there's a sense of that um, at this point in the year. Um, if for me, it's, you know, my, as far as my pipeline is concerned, I feel pretty good about it because I just had a lot of, bit, lot of people just calling me, um, a lot of leads coming in in December uh, that I was able to sort of tell those guys, hey, you know what, like, we're sort of winding down for the year. Let's really ramp up and start looking for things in January. So I have that, and then I had a couple of uh, new development meetings where, um, you know, I'm looking at a, where they're not sure whether they want to do a 25,000-square-foot uh, rental or sales project, but it looks like that should be coming my way. So, you know, the pipeline's looking pretty good, but ultimately I think, uh, my point of view is always set minimal goals, never assume that that's my maximum um, because I don't like to put a cap on it. Um, but I know exactly where I sort of want to grow. And to Phil's point, 
um, I think it's very crucial to sort of pay attention to where your business comes from, what channels you're most effective in growing and then growing accordingly. So for me, um, it tends to be personal networks. So I tend to just stay social, stay fairly casual. So, you know, a lot of people I know focus on social media and all these other things. For me, I think it's just an interpersonal relationship that works the best. And um, so I tend to focus most on that. Yeah, you know, as a, as, a, as a real estate agent myself and a manager, a sales manager in my company, I can't emphasize any stronger uh, business planning uh, because it helps you get to your goals regardless of what you do for work. It's always something to look at, always something to modify, adjust, whatever, but it does definitely does help. Richard, you know, um, so social media, publicity, branding, <clears throat> all of these things very important to real estate agents because we, we tend to be sort of like celebrities out there with something, you know, that people want from us. And so, the you know, the thing that we need to do is brand properly, publish, you know, get ourselves uh, publicly out there. And social media helps us with that. So how do – how what is your, your thought for the panel today and how can they – what should they look for going forward in 15 with regard to these uh, branding aspects of our right. job? What I would say is, this is what I tell most clients, a, a couple ideas. If, you, if you're looking to expand the presence that you have in your market and you want to become known as more of an authority in your market, uh, is number one, find ways to get your listings covered by the press, which sounds obvious, but a lot of brokers don't really put a lot of time into actually contacting reporters. Whether it's an industry outlet like The Real Deal, who we just had on, or if it's somebody like The New York Times, Spend some time introducing your listings to reporters who cover your market. Uh, number two, I would say, is look for different lists. A lot of cities and, and uh, local markets have different lists, whether it's the top 50 brokers in that neighborhood, uh, top 50 entrepreneurs, whatever it is. Look for lists that you can enter into, and if you can get yourself onto one of those lists, fill out the application. It's usually pretty simple, um, and that's a great way to get exposure. Um, another thing I tell people is look for opportunities where you could become a columnist or a contributor on different media outlets. Uh, that's something that works really well, whether it's the Huffington Post or somebody like Forbes Magazine. Good Morning New York. Or Good Morning New York, where you can become a regular contributor, whether it's you write an article every month or you come on every week as a as a talk host or, or a guest. Look for something that you can become a contributor on that you can keep yourself in front of the press and in front of your market on a regular basis. Um, and then I would also just say look for different outlets that would profile you as a professional. Um, put together a quick summary of all the things that you've done, deals that you've worked on, accomplishments and whatnot. And go to different reporters who are covering your market. And a lot of times, especially when there's slow news, they'll write profile stories. And that, that's a great tool that you can use to show to clients. Um, I don't think you could argue that having a bunch of articles written about you and what you've done in the market would, would hurt you when you're pitching a new listing. Absolutely. Niall, so again, for you, it's a double-edged sword, but when you think about branding yourself as an agent and branding your company and all of your agents, any thoughts on that for 2015, doing anything differently than you've done in 14, maybe enhancing? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, everything that Richard just said is fantastic. Just like you, Vince, I used you know Richard last year in, in 2014. He did a fantastic job. So hats off to you, Richard. Um, I think he. I think he did a lot of great things for my personal business. Um, I mean, when you are out there and you, there's an article written about you, and you are an authority, it is. It is extremely powerful. And not only that, does that help your business, but it helps the company business as well. So I think it's 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 a matter of uh, rising tides lifts all boats, and is, is one is kind of a mirror of the of the other. And the more that you can get out there and and be public and you know, be on a show like this or contribute to a column in the Huffington Post, I think the better. 
And if you could supplement that with, you know, minimal, you know, social media, I think that's extremely powerful as well, just to kind of reiterate, you know, the fact that you are here and, you know, the more that you do that, uh, the more that you're kind of dripping in front of people's faces, then, you know, they will, they will contact you and that's how you're going to get more business. Nadia, how do you, um, how do you uh, brand for 2015 Alt or Bartolucci for the <laughs> top team at Douglas we Element? Do, we do a lot of, a lot of mailings. We do uh, some events. Uh, my partner Rachel has a mm-hmm. has a store up in uh, Connecticut uh, called Cook and Craft. So we we ha- try there. to have these it. quarterly events where we you know invite brokers from you know Westchester and Connecticut to come and meet and greet us, get our name out there to them, develop referral networks for them, and um, also just making sure, like was mentioned earlier, you know getting our our listings in the press. Uh, our townhouse listing that's coming out in two weeks will be on the cover of the, the New York Times uh, Fine Home magazine. So nice. that that's something very exciting for us. And instead of everyone going to DouglasElliman.com, we've um, developed our own website link to feed into that, RachelAndNadia.com, just to present a more casual, you know, friendly um, um, web domain that will um, help people remember us. And, and that seems to be working at the moment. Easier names, I would say. Rule. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what kind of branding thoughts do you have going on for 2005? I mean, you touched on a little bit, some of them a little while ago, but what, anything in more specific this year that you want to do to brand yourself above and beyond yes. 14? Um, for me, uh, a large part of sort of my focus is um, really uh, creating a name internationally. So um, I've been speaking to um, and partnering with certain brokerages in India, Singapore, Dubai, London, and um, really sort of getting getting just a, a brand and a referral network uh, set up with a specific contacts in those those markets. Uh, because as we've seen in this past year, um, we've had such a huge influx of foreign buyers, um, and there is. I mean, for me, there's a natural market um, being Indian American. Um, you know, there's there's a specific contingency that I can pull from um, that I'm really sort of focusing on at this point from an international point of view as well as a national point of view. Um, but I really think that there's still a lot of... I, I think there's just a lot of fruit to be shaken off those trees. I think there's a lot of um, buyers who are not the $25, $35, $55 million buyers. I mean, those are there, too. But I think there are a lot more people who are now um, looking to invest here um, that are more the bread and butter market, which is from like two million to to ten million dollar segment. And I really want to target that because I think that 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 um, market segment is sort of underserved internationally. All right, so we are running out of time as we usually are. So I wanted to say this is our last show for the year. Uh, we will be back next year, next week for <laughs> the start of 2015. But I wanted to say thank you to my panel and to Richard because without you guys, the show wouldn't be the number one hit show that it is. Hard to believe, but let's make 2015 even better. Perul, Niall, Nadia, Phil, Richard Lorenzen, uh, and in abstentia today, Rachel and Deborah. Thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. You make the show what it is every week. And that is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. 
for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.